Welcome to the MRC Talks podcast. I'm Hasina Sakrani. In our 2019 Career Inspiration series, we're bringing you stories from inspiring scientists who are working to improve lives through medical research. Each month, we talk to a different scientist to find out how they got there and what makes them tick. This month, Dubs Barber talks to Caroline Relton, who's a professor of epigenetic epidemiology at the MRC Integrative Epidemiology Unit at the University of Bristol. So I think um, really having a lot of resilience, uh, being uh, really tenacious and having an idea of where you want to go and what you want to do is really, really important. And you just have to keep trying and keep trying. Although Caroline has always loved science, she didn't originally plan to be a scientist. Caroline's first degree was in applied biology and nutritional science at Oxford Brookes University. But before beginning her research career, she first pursued her passion for teaching and trained to be a secondary school teacher. After completing her PGCE, Caroline taught at a comprehensive school for five years before having a change in direction and doing a PhD in molecular genetics at Newcastle University. After over a decade of being an academic in Newcastle, an opportunity arose at Westlake's Research Institute. It was there that Caroline first connected with Bristol University to recruit pregnant women and their babies for a biobank. The Bristol-based Avon Longitudinal Study of Parents and Children, also known as Children of the 90s, was the largest study on this population at the time. Although she kept in touch with Bristol academics, Caroline moved back to Newcastle University to research children's health at a population level, with a special interest in the vitamin folate. To tackle the challenges she faced, Caroline tried something different, blending the disciplines of epidemiology and epigenetics. This approach looks at how often and potentially why diseases occur in large populations, alongside research into the different ways genes are used or expressed in the body. In 2012, Caroline was invited to lead one of the new programmes for the MRC unit in Bristol. Initially, she split her time between Newcastle and Bristol universities, but later made Bristol her full-time base, a move she credits as being the biggest factor that has catalyzed her career. Today, Caroline's research group focuses on the causes and consequences of epigenetic changes in normal development and diseases like cancer. Okay, hi Caroline, lovely to uh, be with you here today. Um, So first, I just want to ask a little bit about your research. So if you were talking to your friends and family about your work, how would you describe it? My research interests lie in epigenetics and my particular interests are around how epigenetics as a phenomenon can contribute to health and normal development. When I say epigenetics, I mean the mechanisms that turn our genes on and turn our genes off and are involved in in regulating uh, how the genome works. Well, that sounds really, really interesting. And um, so out of all the research you've done in your career to date, what would you say is your most interesting or perhaps unexpected finding? I guess what is gradually being increasingly revealed to me and the group that I work with is that we embarked on studying epigenetics because we thought it could be a really important mechanism in disease processes. But what we're finding is that epigenetics actually is just a really good predictor. 
So it is a really good biomarker or index of exposures such as smoking and health behaviours, alcohol intake, age and so forth. And so this could have really useful applications in clinical medicine and a range of other situations as well. But um, so I guess the surprising thing to me is that although we started off trying to understand epigenetics and uh, disease mechanisms, our attention has been gradually more uh, pointed or focused towards using epigenetic measures to predict things. So you didn't start off in your career as a scientist. You initially went to university and studied something completely different. So at what point did you decide that you wanted to become a scientist? Well, I was always very interested in, in science uh, subjects at school and um, and did have a sort of desire to do some, something science. Um, I But once I'd completed my degree in, in applied biology, I wasn't quite sure that I wanted to do a PhD. And part of the, one of the factors contributing towards that was the fact that I'm an identical twin and my identical twin sister decided to do a PhD. So I thought well, I can't really do exactly the same thing. I, I ought to really do something a bit different. Hmm. So um, I uh, opted to train as a secondary school teacher and uh, did a, a postgraduate certificate in education and taught in a comprehensive school for five years, which, in fact, in retrospect, was uh, was really good training. It was uh, it taught me how to deliver, how to work in a in a pressured environment. Um, it taught me all sorts of things about um, ab- about working life, and I think set me up in a, a very positive way to then go back into academia and into research. And was this an easy process for you to go from um, being a teacher then back to studying for a PhD? Um, not especially. I think I was very lucky at the time. I think I was, because I was rooted in a particular region, which I think often when you're looking at, a, uh, at trying to identify opportunities for PhDs, you're quite mobile and you can look at different opportunities in different regions of the country. Whereas I was at that point rooted in the northeast, so I was limited in in terms of the opportunities to do something that was medically related or biomedically related. So I think I was very lucky to get the opportunity that I I did to go back to Newcastle University and do my PhD there. Okay, and talking more about your career um, at the moment. So, what would you say a typical working day um, is like for you? Well, at the moment, I have quite a lot of management responsibilities alongside my research activities so um, my work is is almost well exclusively office based a lot of my working day is spent in one-to-one or small group meetings some of that is uh, is very much research focused some of that is management focused Um, but but prior to that my research has sort of transitioned through a phase that during my PhD I was fully lab-based and then I moved into doing some lab, some sort of more statistical, uh, statistically related work. And then I've gradually transitioned into being, um, being, being more, more office based. What would you say is the best decision you've made so far? I think moving to Bristol University. I was previously... Um, at Newcastle University where I spent about 12 years and that was fantastic for me at that time in my career and it it was at Newcastle where I was able to to make that transition f- 
from predominantly lab-based activities into more sort of epidemiological research. But although Newcastle has some strengths in, in public health research, it, it isn't a big um, centre of, of gravity for epidemiology. Whereas Bristol is world-leading in that area. It's innovative in terms of the methodologies that it applies and develops. And, and I was able to bring something to Bristol that Bristol didn't have at that time. So there was no epigenetics research here when I joined, or very, very little uh, in, in the university more broadly, and, and none in the context of population health sciences. So um, I felt like I brought something, but I benefited hugely from the, the methodological expertise that was here. And I think that was probably the, 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 the single biggest factor that has catalyzed my career. So I think in terms of people thinking, making career choices, thinking about where to go and, and what might be a good move for them, I think thinking carefully about the interdisciplinary mix and the opportunities that a particular organisation might afford them, but also thinking about what they can bring that's slightly different to an organisation because that helps that, that synergy. Yeah, that's really good advice. Um, and sort of focusing on something a little bit different, um, is there a time in your career that maybe things didn't go so well or like that you failed to do what you had set out to do? And more importantly, also, how did you bounce back from that? Yeah, I think I'm not unusual in think I'm, I think I'm probably um, on the sort of within the normal sort of... Um, I think I'm not unusual in that that the transition from being having a postdoctoral position to getting a secure academic position was a time when that was quite unsettling. Um, the the the, the short term contracts that one has during postdoctoral life can can be very stressful and, and quite unsettling, and one's always trying to 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 prove one's worth and to to secure those uh, a permanent academic position. And that has perhaps got a, a little bit easier in in academia, but but not hugely. I think it's still a challenge. There are there are many many postdocs and, and not many academic positions. So I think um, really having a lot of resilience, uh, being a, really tenacious, and having an idea of where you want to go and what you want to do is really really important. And you just have to keep trying and keep trying. Okay. Um, so. Is there any advice that you would give to yourself right back at the very beginning of your career that you know now that you didn't know back then? Um, I, I did have one piece of really good advice that one of my PhD mentors, uh, Professor Doug Turnbull, gave me. Um, and it was sort of after my PhD when I went back t- to chat to him about various uh, career opportunities. And he said to me, just do excellent science. And if you do excellent science, that will shine through. Um, and it, it, the, the conversation had evolved from, from me sort of morphing into an epidemiologist in, in a very lab-based setting. And he was saying, don't worry about it too much. If, you, if what you do is really good, then people will notice and you'll get recognised. Okay, um, finally, if you had a magic wand, if you, you know, had superpowers and you could change anything, what major challenge would you address and what would be your solution for it and why? In terms of career paths in science, I think um, I would like to see more opportunities for uh, for allowing 
early and mid-career researchers to flourish and feel feel confident and secure in their positions at that career stage. I still think that it is it's super challenging for people who are really, really good, really good, um, to have to sort of have a, an environment that's so competitive. Um, it would be really nice to have more fellowships, more longer-term positions, so that um, the, the, the early and mid-career researchers can really grow into their own space at that point in their career. Um, I think that, and and it's it's a really interesting part of the the, the career path actually because um, I really really enjoy mentoring early and, and, and mid-career researchers and and you know not everyone is on the trajectory to 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 be a, a a PI or a group lead and that doesn't suit everyone but there's still um, a huge value that that people who aren't PIs are on track to be PIs that that they bring to an organisation. And so finding ways to recognise that and secure those individuals within an academic environment without them feeling like second-class citizens, like they haven't quite mm. quite made the cut, I think, is, is, is really important. And I think there, there is a growing net recognition amongst funders and, and, and other, other bodies in the academic setting that team science is really, really important. And so I think we're at a point now where we're sort of thinking creatively or defining what we mean by team science and how we can use that opportunity to help secure the the, the careers and support the careers of, of, of these talented individuals who, who aren't necessarily going to be group leaders in the future. Okay, great. Well, thank you very much for um, speaking to me today. It was fantastic. Thank you. For more information about biomedical career options, check out our map at mrc.ukri.org forward slash interactive framework. If you like what you hear, then please like, share and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Send us your feedback via Twitter at the underscore MRC or on Facebook where MRC comms. Tune in to next month's episode to hear how computational biologist Chris Ponting is solving biological puzzles by bringing together people from different disciplines. This episode was produced by Debs Barber and presented and edited by Hasina Sakrani. Thanks for listening. <laughs>